0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this week's edition of the Dolphins In-Depth Podcast. I'm Daniel Iufusi, and I'm glad you guys are tuned in. Um, you know, week two was a gut punch for the Miami Dolphins. Week three was a heartbreaker. Dolphins obviously dropping an overtime game to the Las Vegas Raiders, 31-28. to 28. Dolphins led by 14 early, but gave them 25 straight points, and then dropped the game in overtime. We're going to get into a lot of that game where the Dolphins go after another tough loss. And looking into the next game at home against the Indianapolis Colts, and I've got another great guest for you guys, and it's a it's, it's a name that if you know you've been following the Miami Herald for for a while, um, you might remember this name. I've got Stephen Holder with me, who's a uh, senior writer for the Athletic, covering the Colts as well as the NFL. Uh, I want to say thank you to Stephen. Just a quick just a quick kind of background. I know I met Stephen about three years ago when I was. I think senior um, at the university of Maryland and we were in Detroit for the national association of black journalists uh, convention. And, um, you know, me being a young uh, reporter, he was so receptive and so great kind of giving game to a young writer coming up. So I want to say thank you then. And thank you, Stephen, for coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah. I actually remember that I had, um, it's, it's funny. I, I used to be the young reporter looking for (laughs) advice and now, uh, so like 20 years went by in the flash of an eye and now, I'm the senior reporter, who people come to for advice, but like, I love it. You know what I mean? Cause I've been there and, um, a lot of people were, were great to me. So, you know, you try to pay it forward as much as you can. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm glad to see you doing big things, man. And, uh, in my hometown, uh, born and raised in Carroll city. Uh, so yeah, man, Miami for life. Um, I grew up loving the dolphins, I'm a Dan Marino diehard, so yeah, man, I go way, way back. I remember the night of the '84 Super Bowl. Like, I mean, trust me, like I, I lived it, man. So, yeah, this feels like home.
0: No, most definitely, and you know, I'm gonna say after this, uh, after this recording, I'm gonna have to get some some restaurant suggestions from you, most definitely. <laughs> but, but I'm really excited for this for this show. You know, there's so so many overlaps, not just the the Colts playing the Dolphins this weekend, but obviously Jacoby Brissett kind of making that reunion, meeting back with Indianapolis and some of the parallels and kind of the, the rebuilds of the team. So uh, we're really going to start with Jacoby and him making his first start since week 19 of the 2019 – week, sorry, week 17 of the 2019 season. Uh, you know, the the stats from the Vegas game weren't you know, anything great. I think it was 32 for, 32 for 49. 215 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but he did run in for a touchdown that set up the, the game tying two point conversion. I think leaving that game, um, there was maybe some frustrations over, obviously the, the pass in the end zone that went to a safety and maybe not testing the, the defense downfield much. But I think that that's kind of been a issue since the start of the season before Brissett got thrown in there. And, and I want to kind of bring you in to ask you about Brissett just having covered him in Indianapolis. I mean, What has been your impression of his career, his strengths, his weaknesses, and maybe what situation he he needs to be put in to best succeed? Because he's going to start this game against the Colts. He's going to start another game after that with Tua being on IR. And there's a chance that he could start a little bit longer if uh, Tua isn't fully healed from those fractured ribs.
1: Yeah, so I actually have a lot of experience with Jacoby. So I guess he arrived here indeed what the start of the two thousand seventeen season if I recall and he gets traded from New England literally uh I think like ten days before the opening uh, opening day and they had a really bad quarterback situation because Andrew luck was hurt at the time he ends up missing the season and Jacoby starts fifteen games but like by parachuting in out of the out of nowhere right and and being put into an absolute impossible situation now they were terrible. Okay. They were four and 12. It was not a, it was nothing to to necessarily put on your resume, but uh, he, I thought he was a bright spot that year. He did the most he could, you know, to make that team viable. And he endured a lot of pressure. He's going, he's probably going to have to deal with some of that here in Miami right now. Uh, He, he really does, you know, deal with pressure very well in terms of physically, being able to to be tough to bring down and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's interesting. What you saw last Sunday is exactly what I think is kind of the blueprint of Jacoby Brissett. That's kind of who he is, is he's a guy who he won't make a ton of mistakes in terms of throwing the ball into tight coverage and throwing interceptions or 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 making just bad throws in general. He won't do a lot of that. But what he what he also won't do is take the kinds of chances that you have to take to make big plays. So it's kind of a juxtaposition sometimes with Jacoby Brissett. And it can be, it was at times frustrating. I think when, when the Colts needed a big play, sometimes they, they they didn't really, they weren't in position to get it because he didn't take the kinds of chances you had to take. Uh, It's just his nature, right? And it's, it was always mystifying because Jacoby has a cannon for an arm. Okay he can throw the ball with the best of them, you know, where he, where he lacks, I think some, it, something is in his willingness to make those difficult throws. So, you know, and, and probably just, you know, a little touch and accuracy. That's an er- another area where I think has kind of held him back. So th- those are the things that I think have kind of limited him from being what I think could be a starting quarterback, you know, in this league. Cause I think he was right there on the verge for a while. And, that season that he played after Andrew Luck's retirement, I think it could have went either way, right? And and clearly the Colts decided to go with Philip Rivers the next year and brought Jacoby back as their backup. But he definitely as backup quarterbacks go, you can't do much better. But but what he's going to have to do if he's going to have to start for several games, I think he's going to have to take some chances and and get give that Dolphins offense a little more juice. Yeah,
0: Touching off that last point, I mean, I looked at that game through the lens of he is coming in as, as a backup quarterback. You know, there's a lot of teams that have very, very bad backup quarterback situations, and they might not have even been in a position to. The Dolphins might not have even been in a position to to win that game or compete. For that game with a lot of other backups So I kind of looked at it through that lens Again, we know that um, he threw a really Bad pass to Jalen Waddle in the end zone That kind of resulted in a safety And kind of got the ball rolling on that Raiders comeback I I do understand some fans' criticisms Of you know, maybe some accuracy issues Not pushing the ball deep But I feel like that issue As a whole is, is more a byproduct Of maybe the offensive line And some issues with you know the co-offensive coordinator pairing and some of the play calls you know I just wrote a story about them trying to find that balance between patience and taking what the defense gives you and then being aggressive and I was looking through some NFL next-gen stats and Jalen Waddle, their first round pick this year he's averaging like 3.8 yards downfield per target so like on his average target he's you know, not even five yards down the field, throwing a bunch of slants and bubble screens to him, and it's like this dude runs a four two. Like, why aren't they throwing it the why aren't they throwing the ball deep? So, you know, I'm not really one to place much blame on Jacoby for that. I think that that's just kind of one of the byproducts of a struggling offensive line. And you know, if you're gonna try to get Wolf Fuller and Uh, Jalen Waddle and all these guys in the mix and try to kind of really liven up this offense. I mean, you need time for the plays to develop, and I feel like we're not seeing that. I think that the offensive line was actually improved a bit. You know, they made another starting um, line change, bringing in Liam Eikenberg, right tackle, and then moving Jesse Davis from the right side to, to left guard. I think that we did see some improvements, and I thought that they actually blocked for the run pretty well. But again, you know, we're still seeing some of these kind of like mental breakdowns in terms of, you know, not knowing your assignment and um, physical breakdowns in terms of getting getting beat one-on-one. So I think that's something that's really going to hold this offense back. And if you're going to put blame on the quarterback for not throwing the ball deep, you have to put blame on the offensive line for not allowing them to do that.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and I think it's it's kind of, it's got to be frustrating, right, if you're a Dolphins fan, because you, you talk about Will Fuller and, and guys like that, and and Jalen Waddle. This this kind of speed and being unable to to u- fully utilize it because the quarterback can't have time, you know, to throw the ball uh, down the field. That's got to be incredibly frustrating. And and you're right, as a, as a play caller, as an offensive staff, you know, you do have to tailor your play calling to what your circumstances are. And their circumstances up front are not good right now. So. I I think it's a great point, and Jacoby has been through this before. You know, he had a situation in 2017, as I mentioned. You know, they they were in the first year of a rebuild, uh, and I mean, it was an all-out rebuild, right? They completely tore it down and to the studs, and they had like maybe two real starting level offensive linemen. <laughs> you know, and uh, it, it didn't go very well, right? He was dealing with a lot of pressure, and and I think they had to really adapt they they had to run the ball a lot more when possible and and play off of that you know to try to to get the to help out the protection a little bit so it it was it was a difficult year for sure uh when he when he had better protection in two thousand and nineteen they had rebuilt the offensive line back th- by that time, and the one thing I will say is he was much more efficient uh he, he still obviously isn't ever really going to be a guy who's very aggressive as a quarterback, but Jacoby was definitely, I think, a different quarterback with, uh, with, a, with better protection up front. There's no question about that. And, you know, he could, he could process things a little longer and not have to be as rushed. And I think that sort of plays into his game a little bit. So, so we'll see how, if, if they can shore it up for him a little bit and help him out because uh, you're going to get a better result if you can.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to add something specifically about his 2019 season, which, like I said, that was the last full season that he started. It seemed like if you look at the numbers from the first couple games, like first five, six, seven games, he and the Colts got off to a really strong start, but the second half of that season, it kind of fell apart. I mean, what do you remember from the first half of that season and some of the stuff that was kind of working well for him?
1: Well, I would say a couple things. Number one, they did a really good job of – I think putting him in good situations, so they they weren't getting behind, and that's another that that's always important for a backup quarterback. I feel like when well, or any quarterback really, but you know, I, I don't know what the score was when Jacoby came into the game, but but playing with a lead is is a big is is a big ingredient to success, right? The Colts right now, for example, they've had the lead this year for like two minutes of the entire season. It's it's unbelievable, and it's incredible how that impacts. How you play, you know. If you, you know, we've been asking Frank Reich, their head coach, "Hey, are you abandoning the run too soon?" He's like, "Guys, we haven't even had a lead." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, all right, that's fair." But um, yeah. So I think that that was a big part of it. The Colts did a good job of of forcing punts early in games, giving offense multiple opportunities, and they were converting. Uh, they were running the ball pretty well, actually. That was that was a really strong year for their running game. And I think that was a byproduct of their offensive line just being really dominant. I remember they went to Kansas City on the road on a Sunday night game that year. And yeah, yeah, they just basically gashed them to death the whole night. Now, the defense has to play a role in this too, right? They they have to. And, And the defense definitely did play a role in that. I think they got a lot of turnovers. And so, as I said, giving them opportunities, it's all about that. Uh, the, the turnovers and, and big stops, forcing field goals instead of touchdowns. You know, I, I think they kept the scores in check. As that season went on, two things happened. He, he being Jacoby, he he had a knee sprain, missed, I believe, two games. That was a big setback for him physically. When he came back, I did notice he was not the same guy. And, and I don't know whether the injury was a factor or not. That's just, you know, in the eye of the beholder. But, but he definitely couldn't recapture whatever it is he had early in that season. And then, in addition to that, their defense faded down the stretch. And I think that compounded whatever problems Jacoby was dealing with physically. And it, it really sort of devolved from there. I mean, they were 5-2 and two in their first seven games. They were in first place in their division. And this is immediately after their Pro Bowl quarterback retired, a week before the season. I mean, just unbelievable set of circumstances, and they were rolling, but they just couldn't sustain it. And and I think, you know, that is – I think what they needed late in that season was they needed Jacoby – what they needed was their quarterback, whoever it was, to really, really be dynamic and and rise above all the things that were happening elsewhere on the team, all the injuries and all the the stuff that was going on. And I, you know, I don't think you're going to get that from Jacoby Brissett. What you're going to get is a guy who's very steady and not going to screw things up. But you know, can he take you to the next level? That's not really who he is. But but again, that's not why the Dolphins signed him either. So I think he can do enough. But but other. Parts of the team, other areas of the team, they got to do their part.
0: No, most definitely. I was going to say, you know, I'm, again, I'm looking at everything through the lenses of him being a backup because yep. he's not he's not the the number five overall pick that they've uh, drafted to be the franchise guy. That's that's two, and that's what I wanted to talk about next. Um, one thing that I found really interesting, you know, I, really the past two weeks have been really interesting for me as someone who didn't really grow up with the institutional knowledge of the Dolphins who's still learning it and I'm really learning from the fans honestly you know after the week two blowout loss to the Bills there was a lot of kind of hysteria about the rebuild you know year three of Brian Flores and uh, Chris Greer the, the general manager and kind of wondering if 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 it's really on the right track, and, you know, obviously Tua gets knocked out on the second possession, um, you can't really blame that on him. His right tackle misses a block, but, again, that kind of brought back questions about his durability and to some extent it was a little bit of confirmation bias for the people who always thought, you know, he's too small to to hold up for a 16, 17 game schedule. And then you have the Raiders game, which he doesn't play at all. You know, he's on the sideline traveling with the team, supporting the team, but he doesn't play at all. And you still see some of these issues with the offense And on the other side of the – well, I won't say other side of the country, but in Kansas City, I believe, you have Justin Herbert um, knocking off Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and looking like every bit of the star quarterback that Tua was supposed to be. And you just had that constant comparison. And I'm just curious, from your perspective, you know, is the clock kind of ticking on Tua? Because I have been of the mindset, you know, I've kind of – uh, you know, you have the two apologists. You have the um kind of haters, defenders, whatever. You know, you have, you have two sides uh, of this argument with Tua: the people who just don't believe he's ever going to pan out, and the people who definitely believe he's going to pan out if given everything he needs. And I'm kind of in the middle, where I'm like, you know, I don't really feel too strongly about him, but I think that as a young quarterback, we have to at least let it play out and we have to let him literally play it out on the field to see if he's the worthy of the number five overall pick. Well, I mean, what do you, what do you think of kind of the possessions of Tua, especially as someone who, you know, you said, like you said, grew up watching Dan Marino and, you know, just being uh, in, in that level in or in that time of, of Dolphins great football.
1: It's a great question. And, and I think you're, you're picking up, you're, you're perceptive cause you're picking up what what you are, hearing and, and observing, I think, is a fan base that <laughs> has had a lot of history and heartbreak at quarterback, okay? So you mentioned Dan Marino, as did I. There hasn't been any real consistency at quarterback since he retired. I mean, that is incredible when you think about it. it I think there are two teams in the NFL that have had a, had probably the most quarterback heartbreak in recent decades, I guess. And it's the Bears and the Dolphins. It's, I mean, it's incredible, right? I mean, here you have – all right, I cover the Colts, all right? They have Peyton Manning for almost 20 years, okay? And then they got the first pick in a draft – well, not 20 years, but you know, a long time. Yeah. Then they have the first pick in a draft on the heels of that, and they get Andrew Luck, <laughs> who, granted, he's gone now, but let's be clear. Like, there was no doubt that was the guy, right? I yeah. mean, he was – from day one, it was like, all right, we got a guy. And so they had back-to-back absolute stud quarterbacks. <laughs> People here have no idea what it's like to not have a quarterback, <laughs> except they're learning now that it's it's not that easy, right? And yeah. they, they can't they, – they're not coping well with it, let me tell you. And so on the other side of the coin, you have Dolphins fans who are just like of, of the opinion that, okay, we're never going to have a quarterback. <laughs> so whereas the Colts fans always assume, all right, well, hey, where's our quarterback, all right? And in Miami, it's almost like, all right, well, we know we don't have a quarterback because we never have a quarterback. Right. So it's it's a real interesting phenomenon. But you, and you other, the other thing you mentioned that's interesting is I definitely sense that among people in Miami, like you have to pick a side for, or against Tua. You don't have to pick a side. I think you're, I think your approach is right. Do I think the clock is ticking? Uh, Yeah, it is because this is the NFL and, at the end of the day, the, the, the coach and GM, they don't have 10-year contracts, right? So the clock is ticking because it's ticking for them. <laughs> and so if you're a player, it's ticking for you. But at the same time, I I can go back to Peyton Manning, right? And Peyton Manning set the rookie interception record as a rookie. Yeah, Peyton Manning, okay? And it worked out okay. He also did not make the playoffs for his first three seasons, you know? So yeah. – I, I use that as as a way to temper people's expectations on some level, you know, because it's hard. Now that was that was a long time ago, and and expectations today are different. So that's just the reality of the world we live in. Uh, it's a, you know it's a microwave league now, right? And people want it fast. It just is what it is. But that doesn't mean that reality is going to oblige. <laughs> you know, reality is what it is. So yeah, it it takes a lot of discipline and perspective to understand what you're seeing and just to understand with any young quarterback, right? I mean, Justin Fields, people thought he was going to be the answer. I mean, do we know anything about Justin Fields after two weeks? I certainly don't. Certainly not after that Browns
0: game. <laughs>
1: if anything, you're scared to death, right? But but we know he has talent, too. So, you know, I, I think it's going to take time. Some guys click faster than others. Justin Herbert is a great example, okay? I never saw that coming. I mean, I thought a he was good. A lot of good. people didn't know. No, oh. no. So it can but that can go either way. It cuts both ways. The expectations cut both ways. You can have expectations for a guy that are high and then he underperforms those expectations, and you can have expectations for a guy that are low and he overperforms. And so it just depends, you know, what your luck is. And I think in this case, expectations for Tua were certainly high. Two two, three years of build up and then, you know, it, it didn't necessarily turn out the way they hoped. So we'll see. I'm I'm rooting for him because he seems like a good dude. He seems like he's a hard worker. He wants it, and um, you know, I want my South Florida friends to uh, to enjoy some <laughs> success too. <laughs>
0: now it's been a long time, you know, for them. The way you know, every time I tweet anything about Tua, it, it could just be Tua completed a pass. It's like an argument starts in the mentions. I'm like, yeah. what's going on, man? Yeah, they're 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 definitely they're definitely uh definitely um really passionate about him. And, you know, I I really ask that question because I look back at a a week like we just saw in week three where literally every single rookie quarterback that's starting struggles. I mean, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, like you said, Justin Fields, um, Zach Wilson. I mean, you have all these guys that are struggling. And even looking at second-year quarterbacks, you have Jalen Hurts on Monday night throwing really bad pick six and uh, some of the issues that he's having with the Eagles. And I kind of sat back last night thinking, like, you have all these young quarterbacks who are struggling. I mean, out of the first- and second-year quarterbacks, I mean, Herbert and maybe Burrow were playing the best, and even Burrow – has had some shaky moments to start the season and I kinda use that as as reason and example to say, you know, we have to let it play out. You know, I, I feel like maybe one of the worst things that could have happened to Tua was maybe him playing his rookie season because he admitted that he wasn't really um physically back from the hip injury. He said that he didn't have the greatest grasp of the offense. Um, I thought that it was definitely a tough situation to throw him in in an a actual winning situation. You know, the team is doing a lot better um, with Fitzpatrick than a lot of people expected, and to kind of just – Throw him the reins mid-season and say, "Okay, lead us to the playoffs." I thought that that was kind of a tough spot for him. And you know, he 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 did show some things. He did have his struggles as you would expect a rookie to do. Um, but I almost think that if he had just kind of redshirted that fresh uh, that that rookie year, I'd say, and come in as a sophomore, but his his real first year playing, I feel like he maybe would have gotten a little more grace um, than we're seeing right now.
1: Yeah, it, it is true. I think when when you play as a rookie, you know you. I, I just think, first of all, I mean, rookie quarterbacks. Uh, you can look at. I, I did this recently, actually. I went back and and compiled the stats for for rookie quarterbacks going back to I believe it was two thousand. I don't have it in front of me, but the winning percentage was something like you know thirty percent, right? And when they start games, um, it's it's tough. Actually, so that was week one of 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 the of the season. Rookies who start in week one. They were like I think it was like twenty five percent. And so it wasn't much better over the course of the whole season, right? Rookie quarterbacks equal struggles almost like eighty percent of the time. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's just is what it is. It's it's hard for people to accept that because they invest so much hope in a quarterback, you know? And and that's that's the thing that's tough for a guy like Tua. I mean Look, granted, he's paid handsomely and he's achieved a lot of fame from being who he is. So, like, it's not I'm not feeling sorry for him, but I am trying to give some perspective, right? There is so much put on the shoulders of these young quarterbacks. I feel like they almost they, – they possibly can't. They almost can't, uh, uh, you know, achieve a level of satisfaction almost. You know, just, it's just so hard. I mean – what do teams do when they have a young quarterback who they think isn't ready? Oh, they blitz the hell out of them. Right. And they just yeah. show them all kinds of looks to confuse them. And they know what they're doing. I mean, these, these coordinators lick their chops when they see that. So, you know, I, I guess what I'd say is that, yeah, we, we probably have unfair expectations for young quarterbacks and, and we've also changed what we ask of young quarterbacks. You know, at, when I say we, I mean, the NFL has changed what it asks of young quarterbacks. I mean, generally now uh, young quarterbacks are starting. I mean, if they're drafted early, they're starting in year one at some point. Okay. Now there are some teams that have tried to, you know, to do it differently. Uh, I think the chargers last year started off with, you know, Tyrod Taylor, for example, then, you know, he gets the the punctured lung and, which is a whole other story <laughs> from the yeah. painkilling injection. I've never heard of such a thing, but anyhow. So then obviously, their rookie quarterback uh, starts and, and turns out he's a revelation. But I, I almost think it's better to fall into it that way than to have a build up and, and all these expectations, you know, that you have to be the guy, you know, so Trey Lance, for example, in San Francisco, you know, he, I don't know what's going to happen there, but right now it looks like they can continue with Garoppolo. It's, he's been viable for them right now. Right. And I, I kind of think Trey Lance may benefit from that, you know, he can kind of just live in his own little world and watch and learn. At some point he's going to have to roll up his sleeves and do it, okay? Whether that happens later this season or in the future, but but I think there is something to be said for the the job is so hard as it is, right? It's so hard to play quarterback in this league. And then to do it with that added pressure on you as a young player, I just have to, I just think that's so Difficult so so difficult and Tua had had an immense amount of pressure last year So, you know, I just hope he gets a chance to come back from this injury and and show what he can do I mean, I think we all need to see we need to see more and we want to see more and we need to see more because we don't know what he is yet
0: Yeah, he's obviously gonna miss the next two games at least with the fractured ribs when he comes back I mean expectations will be at the same level. They are if if not if not higher So we're just gonna have to see Uh, we're gonna take a short break uh, but when we come back, we're still going to have Stephen Holder um, to talk about, you know, this rebuild with the Dolphins, kind of compare it to the Colts and preview the game that we're going to see on Sunday. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. They're doing no later. Let's drink a spicy mother Make some bad decisions. Yes!
1: A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where
0: everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we're coming back in 3, 2, 1... Welcome back to the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. I'm still joined by Stephen Holder, who I'm so thankful to have uh, on this episode. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Jacoby Brissett, about Tua. Um, I really want to go big picture next and talk about this Dolphins rebuild. Um, it's one that's in the third year, like I said before, of the Brian Flores fish Career partnership. And I, I, when kind of previewing this this show this episode. I thought it was kind of interesting some of the issues uh, we're seeing in Miami and kind of comparing it to the early stages of the Colts rebuild after drafting Andrew Luck, you know, obviously he burst onto the scene, leading them to the playoffs and consecutive years. Um, but he took a lot of beating behind the offensive line that it, a lot of people criticized the coach front office for not building. And I was curious, I mean, do you see any similarities between these two situations or differences? What do you see there?
1: Okay. So the, the first thing I would say before I get into the, the luck and to a, you know, sort of perspective is, the, they've gone about the rebuilds very differently. While the Colts did part with a lot of veteran players and, and go young in some respects, you know they they certainly didn't have the number of draft picks the Dolphins have had, you yeah. know to to really basically turn the roster over completely. What the Colts did was they they the first year they were somewhat young, but they they signed a lot of like mid level free agents. And they just stocked the roster with those guys. I and mean, they had, here they had this dynamic quarterback, and it, it kind of worked, right? So, the the problem with that is 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 it sustainable? And they learned pretty quickly it wasn't because for the first three years, they definitely were on to something. They made the playoffs three years in a row. Uh, they they made the first round in Lux. Rookie year, got bounced in the wild card. Second year, they won a playoff game. And the third year, they won two, went to the conference championship game. And they get thumped by the Patriots, you know, like a lot of teams, but whatever. And I think what happened, though, is at that point, they doubled down further on the free agents. And it didn't work. It completely fell apart. They were old. Those guys didn't perform. You had money. You had dead money invested in bad players. And so... What the Dolphins have taken, what the Dolphins have done is taken a completely different approach. They got all these draft picks and all these young players. I love that part. I think the question then becomes, did you get the right guys yeah. and can you develop them? You know, that's going to be a question. And and there are some questions. I mean, they have a lot of young talent. That talent has to take the next step. Otherwise, where are you? You're, you've got a, a lot of young players who then you have to make decisions on about their contracts and their futures. And you know you don't want to invest in guys who aren't going to be better players in the long term. So it, it's definitely a different blueprint. But the one different, the one similarity is obviously it started with uh, the the rookie quarterback, right, and that top draft pick or early draft pick. And the difference, I guess, would be that obviously Andrew Luck had immediate success, and there were there were no doubts about the quarterback position. I think uh, uh, until you get that squared away it makes the rest of everything else a little cloudy. And that's what's hard right now for the Dolphins is, you know, what are they? You can't really answer that question until you can really answer what is Tua. Yeah. You know, and this is not a knock. I think this is just reality. I think, you know, I I think uh, imagine that Chris Greer, in a moment of honesty, might agree with me here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he may not do it publicly, <laughs> but but I think – I think in a moment of honesty, I mean, how could he not, right? Because what is the long-term viability of the team? Well, that is directly linked to your quarterback. You know, I mean, it's very rare that the rest of your team can perform at such a high level that you make the quarterback play almost not a non-factor, but a lesser of a factor, right? That, That just doesn't happen very much, not in today's NFL. I mean, quarterbacks gotta go out there and win games now. I mean, that's just the way the league is structured. And so so I, I guess what I'm saying is I think they're they're the same. The rebuilds are, are parallels in that or they're parallel in that they started with that rookie quarterback, but the trajectory of the quarterbacks have been very different. So that's what's going to be interesting. I think the Colts also are no, they're not in a rebuild now, but I think I mentioned earlier Jacoby Brissett's first year, they had another rebuild there where that luck team that I talked about got old and they got rid of all those veterans. Well, they went really young. They did the same thing that the Dolphins did. They actually used the Dolphins blueprint, I would say, in, in that respect and in that particular rebuild. And that's actually been pretty successful in terms of the drafting. They drafted pretty well. Yeah, had some misses, but everybody has. But I mean, you know, you get guys like Quentin Nelson, who you know, this guy keeps going. I mean, he's a he's literally a Hall of Fame candidate. Yeah, Yeah. and Darius Leonard to get a player like that in the second round. They're both hurt right now, so you won't get the full version of those guys on Sunday. But but anyhow, you know that those are two examples of just you know excellent draft picks. Now, what they have now though is. They have quarterback issues, so they're kind of in the Dolphins situation. <laughs> actually, they're actually almost identical to the Dolphins situation. They don't know what they have at quarterback. He's not a young guy, Carson Wentz, but you know he's still. Tr- they're still trying to figure out if he's the guy. You know, so that in that respect, they, these two rebuilds are similar. But but they got the rest of it right. A lot of the rest of their roster, the draft picks were really really good, and I think there's a lot of promise there. Uh, the question now is, what do they have at quarterback?
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I think that the real like stark difference between maybe some of the successes we've seen and failures, you know, on the Dolphins' side and successes with Indianapolis is, is really a drafting. That's what I was going to hit on. I mean, just when you look look down the list, I mean, you name two guys when you draft and the when you get two guys like that in the twenty eighteen draft with your you know sixth overall pick and then your thirty sixth overall pick. I mean, that's a that's a great foundation. And then you look at even Jonathan Taylor and some of the other picks that they've had. I mean, you've got core picks early in the draft that are developing and starting and developing into like some of the best players on your team. And I, I think what's really, you know, the the jury's still out, but, but what really might bite this team is – that 2019 draft, when you have, I, I, I think, three first round picks, and, and, you know, obviously you get Tua, you get, um, Austin, or 2020, I should say, when you get Tua, you get Austin Jackson at left tackle, and then you Noah, know, uh, um, Ig- Igbenagani, and the jury's still out on really all of them. You know, Tua's hurt, you're still trying to see what's going on with him. Austin Jackson is really strode at left tackle, and, you know, there's talks about just, Oh, let's just move him to guard because he might be better there, which I, I don't think you just kind of like move a guy inside and then say everything's solved. And then you have Igbenagini, who was inactive for the first two games of the season. He's active for the third game of the season, but he doesn't play a single, uh, defensive staff. He's just, he's just a special teamer. So there's like a real, there's really, it seems like there's no real plan for him. Um, they have four cornerbacks who are ahead of him, and it's like, you know, you can, you can play revisionist history with, with, the draft all the time, you know, like you said, everyone misses, but it's like, I feel like when you miss so much on some of those first round picks, that's what really comes to bite you. I mean, you can, you can miss on a fourth round pick. You can, you can miss on a third round pick on a fifth round pick, but it's like when you miss on the first round picks, the guys who are supposed to develop into those Pro Bowl starter level players, that's when you really start to see a franchise that's set back. And it's like, it's like, if, if the Dolphins, people are saying, well, if the Dolphins pick Justin Herbert, it's like, the whole trajectory of their franchise looks different. And and I agree, but it's like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, do that to Tua you know I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and let him continue to grow and develop but you know even people say oh if they get a running back if they get J.K. Dobbins or somebody or Jonathan Taylor you know um, instead of a monogamy maybe things are different if they um, get Tristan Warfs or somebody instead of Austin Jackson maybe things are different and that's that's really what it comes down to those early draft picks you know they shipped out Laramie Tunzel and moved all around and got so many draft picks and it's like you have to hit on that or else you're pretty much in the same place you were before.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you mentioned Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert is on a team that that has made some great draft picks over the years, too. And they have had some misses, too. But I think they've had some key hits that are are really going to allow them and allow him, the quarterback, to thrive, you know, because it's all related. Right. I mean, maybe if Austin Jackson, if it's a different guy there, then we're having a different conversation right now about two, aren't we? Right. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think the other thing with the Dolphins and. And Colts that I can sort of offer as a parallel is this: as well as the Colts have drafted, they've also had some blind spots. So I'll give you an example: defensive line. Uh, their pass rush is very really weak right now, which is why this is a, a bad matchup for them because here's an opportunity to exploit a bad line, and your pass rush sucks. <laughs> so, so that's that's tough. But what I would say is that unit they've invested. You know, I would say I think about three second round picks over the last four years in that defensive line at that for edge rush. And it hasn't, it just hasn't hit. They haven't hit on any of those guys. And, you know, it's lots of potential, lots of injuries and and not a lot of return on that investment. And so when you, when you have failures like that sort of, uh, confined to one particular unit, you have a real weakness in your team. And I know the Dolphins have invested some picks on their offensive line, for example, and still, you know, they're not getting the return on that. So I think that's another thing that I see. You know, you can draft well in certain spots, but if you, if you don't really shore up your weaknesses uh, with those draft picks, then where are you really, you know? And, and I think that's one of the things that both teams have in common right now.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And with the offensive line, they're definitely trying to salvage that situation. Like I said, um, three different offensive line starting lineups in three games. It looks like based off what Flores said they're gonna go with this most recent uh lineup. I thought that was mass drastically improved from week two, but again, you know, you've got a whole bunch of first and second year players who were all drafted in the first four rounds of the draft. I mean you gotta you gotta hope that group comes together eventually. So we're gonna see in due time. Um, but, you know, looking ahead to this Dolphins-Colts game, I mean, I first got to ask you, I mean, what's going on with the Colts? You know, they're 0-3. I think that this was a team that a lot of people thought that if Carson Wentz was healthy, which he's not right now, um, and then reunited with Frank Wright, there was the possibility that this could be a dark horse AFC team. But right now they look like maybe one of the worst teams in the NFL. So, I mean, from your perspective and watching it up close, what's been going on?
1: So I I think the Colts really are a perfect storm of just disasters right now. <laughs> some of them are self-inflicted and some aren't. So injuries happen, right? And and I think everybody's dealing with injuries, but there's no question they have been hit really really hard. So they're dealing with I already mentioned Quentin Nelson he's dealing with like three different injuries. And and I think, you know, you look at this team and his running game in the production, it's like, well, why can't the Colts run the ball? Well, <laughs> because after their offensive line has been hurt, right? Uh, they had, I would say, I believe it was three-fifths of their starters on the offensive line missed basically all of training camp. So the preparation wasn't there. Carson Wentz missed all of training camp. Uh, they had Darius Leonard missed half of training camp. Uh, they've had... Uh, guys in and out on the COVID list. That is a whole other story because of their, I think their vaccination rate is a, is a factor right now guys are just vulnerable. So that's a whole other podcast. But my point is they, they have had a lot of guys out of the lineup. And I think I've told Colts fans in recent weeks, if you take nothing else away from this, just please remember next year training camp matters. You can't just get off the bus and show up and play and expect it to go well. Guys got to get ready. And, again, they were hurt, so it wasn't like they were just, you know, taking days off, but but it matters. I mean, and, and you can't logically expect players to just roll out of bed and have success because that's just not how it works because everybody else is out there working when you're in the tub trying to get better, right? That's just how it is. So I've, I've really emphasized that as one thing. The other thing is just I, I see – Areas of their team where they were supposed to be really good are the areas they're struggling. And that I can't square. It doesn't make sense. But, you know, when I look at even with the, the missed time in the lineup for, the, for this offensive line to struggle the way it has, that to me it just doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I mean, I, I use a basketball example, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a coach in basketball and you need a bucket, you give the ball to your guy, right? Your top scorer. And, and that's what the offensive line is. You know, these guys lined up against the Rams last week, or two weeks ago, I guess now, you know, with a first and goal at like the two-yard line and couldn't punch it in. And it's, it's absolutely embarrassing. Absolutely. fans can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. And here, here's, a, here's an offensive line with three pro bowlers. Because Eric Fisher here now, okay, at left tackle. Granted, he's coming off an injury. But you have the left side from center to left tackle, all three Pro Bowlers, and you can't punch it in. I get that Aaron Donald is amazing, but my goodness, right? So, so that's my thing. Is like, you know, that's like giving the ball to LeBron and he shoots an air ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> with two minutes, with with two seconds left, right? I mean, he may miss, but you know, you better defend him because <laughs> he gets buckets, right? And I, I think that's what this was to me. It was just une- unexplainable. Um, and then the other thing is defense. I've been disappointed in the defense. There's just been a lack of execution, a lack of intensity. Uh, they let Ryan Tannehill escape the pocket and run for like three first downs. And, you know, he's breaking guys' ankles. I'm like, what is this? You know, it just it didn't make any sense to me. So uh, they got to do those two things. And then Carson Wentz is obviously injured and is going to have to get better. Uh, he's a little better coming out of this last game than the previous week, but he's still not going to be
0: 100%. Yeah, I mean, all those reasons are why I think that this could be a real bounce back and kind of get right game for the Dolphins. Not, they opened up as two-and-a-half underdogs or two and two-and-a-half favorites, I should say, at home. And I think that given some of the injuries on the offensive line, I think that this is the defensive front that is, for the Dolphins, that is Pressured the quarterback pretty well, but hasn't really gotten home. But we all know Carson Wentz is, you know, he's liable to throw up a couple – balls to the defense and obviously the, the Dolphins have 25 straight games with a, with a takeaway which is crazy I, I mean I wouldn't be surprised if we see yeah. one or two interceptions or a fumble recovery there and uh, again on the offensive side of the ball I think it's, it could be kind of the I want to say breakout game but a game that they get really right I mean the, the Dolphins by all offensive categories or all, all offensive stats are just like bottom five in the league and it's like when you have an offense that you invested so much in with Tua and um, adding Jalen Waddle and, Will Fuller and then you get Albert Wilson back And you obviously have Devontae Parker All these guys in the offensive line I mean this is not What anyone expected but I think That if there's any game right now where they could Maybe get on the right track and start to Really build some confidence it could Be this game coming back home um, Just having the comfort of being at Hard Rock Stadium and you know I picked the Dolphins to win this game before the season Started despite the two two Game losing streak I'm going to pick them to win this Game but what, what do you think?
1: I think it's going to be close. Uh, you mentioned the, the turnovers. Uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be a big test for Carson. He has been. I think that's been an area that I've been surprised by in a positive way by him. Is that he hasn't. He has restrained himself this year. I, I watched a lot of tape of him in Philly last year and the year before as well when he was traded here. And the one thing I saw was a guy who, when he got in trouble, made awful decisions. And to his credit, he's avoided that so far. But I do worry that now that he's injured, it gets harder for him to to sustain that because normally he can get out of trouble. He can't really get out of trouble right now, so I think that makes him a little more vulnerable. Uh, Tennessee, I, I don't think has a strong pass rush, so uh, they had to blitz to kind of get some pressure. Uh, and Dolphins, the Dolphins can get pressure, yet. yeah. The, but the Dolphins can get, I think, a little more can generate a little more pressure. So we'll see. Um, I I reluctantly like the Colts a little bit in this game, but. I, I I think I'm I think I'm being maybe a little foolish, but <laughs> but I, I just I just think there's a couple things that they can do here that that work in their favor. I think that their defensive style I think will work well against Jacoby Brissett because the Dolphins do play sort of a two deep uh, alignment where they'll keep the ball in front of them, and I think if they can if they can play fast and get to the ball. I think they can they can create some third downs and they that either, you know, and at that point you either get off the field or you don't. So we'll see. But uh, they've got to create some more third downs and and um, they've got to be able to, I think, uh, generate some consistency in their offense. And I think they do that by getting some some second and shorts and third and shorts uh, with Jonathan Taylor rolling. So so we'll see. Um I like the Colts, a li- but only a little bit. Only a little bit. And I think it's a, it's a toss-up, to be honest. I'm just going Colts by a here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hate to say, like, oh, this is like a crossroads game, or this is a must-win game, because it's week four. But obviously, right. these are two teams that have struggled early. The Colts are, are winless. The Dolphins are 1-2, and, and they can be facing 1-3 if they lose this game. And then, obviously, they head up to Tampa Bay to play the defending Super Bowl champions, and, you know, most people would, Expect that to be a loss, but you know if they if they win this game and they maybe drop a game to the Bucks, you know Tua could potentially come back for that London game with the opportunity to go three and three. So this is I think a, a really big game for for the Dolphins and the, and the Colts alike. You know I don't. You starting zero and two zero and three is never good for your playoff chances, but you know you got to win one to get the ball rolling. So this is definitely a big yeah. game for for both teams, and you know it should, should be a competitive game. As you know, I've, I've quickly found out, you know the Dolphins keep it interesting, you know on this beach, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that des- desperation
1: game for the Colts. There's no, that's that's part of the reason I, I like them a little bit here, but. Uh, I thought last week was that as well, so uh, we'll see. But zero and three is is a different level, so so we'll oh, see. Definitely. They should be desperate. They're two desperate teams, honestly.
0: Yeah, and you, you know, you know, when you're, when your back is against the wall and you're desperate, you know, uh, you know, a lot of crazy things can happen. So we'll see. Uh, but that brings us to the end of another week of the Dolphins in Debt podcast. I want to thank Stephen Holder again for, for joining and bringing such great insight. Um, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be interesting and we'll be back next week to talk about it. So enjoy the game. Bye.